Let the beast about the cage That light about the dark Can you build the inferno From an itty bitty spark Coffee shop hustlers Rise with the cream A million of the writers Same Hollywood dream Your pen and paper All like bullets in the gun Write what you feel Say what you want In the red room We say what we say We do what we feel We gotta keep it real In the red room All about the crap So look, if you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get in. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest. <laughs> I see you, Neil. <laughs> and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room, where we keep it real, we keep it opinionated, we keep it what, Lisa, Lisa? 2016. Which has been a crappy year so yes. far. Oh, we yes. lost a lot of people. So hopefully... The second half does a lot better. Yeah. Also, I want to give a quick, before we get started, I want to give a shout out to um, a lot of the horror fans out there and people who really love old school cinema. Um, the Wicked Man, Robin Hardy, passed away oh. uh, the other day. So those of you who have The Wicked Man on one of your top 10 horror films of all time, which you should, <laughs> um, he just recently passed away. And uh, Michael Cimino, too, who yes. did The Deer Hunter. Mm-hmm. So a lot of really... Um, Game changers in terms mm-hmm. of film that had a huge impact on me sure. loving film have mm-hmm. passed away. So I want to make sure we recognize those folks. And also, shout out to uh, Hollywood Forever having uh, the, the Purple Rain screening yeah. at the cemetery and had Questlove DJing. No, because it's what? too big. It's too big now. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's too yeah. big yeah, now. I can't. Yeah. You can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the old days, I used to go in the early day when I first started. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I went to one of the second screenings they ever had. And there was only less than maybe a hundred of us there. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was always fantastic. And I'm always excited because when I would go and I would try to get friends to go, they would get creeped out because it's in a cemetery. She would go see the most scariest movie there, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she has no you know, and it's like, it's no problem because it's on the side of a mausoleum wall. <laughs> you're on the lawn. A lot of people think, oh, are you sitting on top of like headstones? Uh-huh. No, no. <laughs> the section that you're sitting on is a really like a grassy area yeah. and it's on the side of a mausoleum wall. Mm-hmm. So you're not sitting on top of people's tombstones. So they tell you. Um, they have plenty of wonderful porta potties so everyone go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. When you get there, it used to be ten bucks. <laughs> we would park inside. Mind you, this oh, is the old days. Yeah, yeah, and the yeah. old days, yeah, like yeah, yeah. we would drive in. Like we would just drive up, pay our little ten dollars. Mm-hmm. I would drive right to the spot. I used to be in the back against like this okay, I will admit there is one crypt. <laughs> See what I gotta do. Wait, wait, there is one crypt <laughs> that would be in the back. That and I would be leaning against and it. I would post up against that because one, people wouldn't be walking past you and smoking, mm-hmm. and then you don't have to get up and move everything. And I would park my car. I'd have my wine, the candelabra, <laughs> the blankets, the lawn chairs. We'd have our snacks, Welcome to my shows. It was fantastic. The DJ would show, play music. When it got a little dark, they play. They'd show like big old posters from all over the world from mm. famous movies and then whatever the movie was they would screen it and we would laugh and it was like fun and I would tell people y'all need to come and they'd be like ooh no now they gotta like expand it to like two days out there, it? It, is, yeah. it has become exactly. Sinespia has become the Comic Con mm-hmm. of outdoor movie screenings <laughs> um, much love to them all the people who've come the Johnny Come Latelys I appreciate it because mm-hmm. it vindicates me mm-hmm. that I was right 
But they did a She's thing. She's always the one who's first on everything. They showed, yeah, yeah, they right. showed Purple Rain. They had Questlove out there spinning tunes. Mm. It was wonderful. So shout out to everybody who went and celebrated Prince. As you notice, I got my Prince. I see. On, I see. So. That's what's up. Anywho, that's what's up. <clears throat> So you guys know how we do it on this rant in the rant room. On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture. But our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Yes. Right. So we can cuss on my show. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We are on. Oh, look at that. Go ahead now, yes, man. We are All right. unfiltered. All right. So yes. you hear her voice. That's my girl, Lisa Bolacaza. You've been gone for a minute. Yeah. You're back? I am back. You started from the bottom, now you're here? Okay, from the bottom, and now as here. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, just, you know, I'm off for the summer now, but I have been traveling, doing a lot of stuff, and I missed the last couple of episodes, because I was just busy. Literally, I was, like, texting right. you, like, I can't come, even though I love coming up here, I just couldn't make it. But I am thrilled today, mm-hmm. because when you texted me mm-hmm. and said that we were having Neil come in, mm-hmm. and I was like, the gods have answered <laughs> prayers. Because Neil, especially his new book, it is breaking down shit that I think, especially in new media. Nobody's talking about it like this. Yeah. For sure. Like yeah. in terms of, no. I mean, even even Neil says, even the term new media is like mm-hmm. almost cliche now. Mm-hmm. It's like shit that we watch and how things have changed in our viewing. Mm-hmm. Like he breaks down the history of it. He mm-hmm. talks to the people. And I think it's really he important. He went to the source. Yes. And mm-hmm. I really want Neil to break down to people because when we talk about pitching to different mm-hmm. places mm-hmm. and coming up with projects, mm-hmm. you got to know where you fit in to get in. Mm-hmm. And so many of us are fucking up mm-hmm. <laughs> because we are trying to present projects True. and we haven't done our homework to mm-hmm. know what that brand is or what it is that they're trying to put out, True. whether you're talking about Netflix or Amazon or Hulu, Crackle and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And Neil, thank God, has gone <laughs> to the mountaintop <laughs> See what I as Moses. Moses yeah. He went yeah. up. And the Lord said, Neil. <laughs> the Lord said, <laughs> come on now. Preach it, girl. He said, Neil, I need you to take this back to the peoples. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to the peoples. That be my publicist. This is good. And, and break it down because you've done, and what I love is the fact that point on, this is not hearsay. This ain't secondhand. Somebody, somebody, auntie, and I heard yep. somebody said, <laughs> you went and interviewed people. Like, I knew I knew he wasn't bullshitting when I, like, you know, I kind of downloaded the first three interviews. You know, you can go on Amazon. Yeah. I was trying to get the book. And I was like, damn it. I wish I could have got it beforehand, but I've been so busy. But then when I read the first person he interviews in the book, mm-hmm. y'all want to y'all know, fam. Y'all want to know Tell who it Tom Fontana. If you don't he know, who, playing. look. If you don't he know, went who, straight to the mountain. If you don't yeah. know who Tom, if you don't know what a, like the old school term game changer. If mm-hmm. you don't know who Tom Fontana is, mm-hmm. baby, you you haven't done your homework and research. <laughs> what do we always say? Google him. Google a bitch. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, he he is like breaking shit down. So mm-hmm. I'm so thrilled for you to be here now because you have a lot of information that I think is going to help a lot of writers, newbies and oldies, to kind of understand what we're dealing with now in terms of trying to get product and content mm-hmm. out because it has has changed. Like mm-hmm. in your forward, you talked about how when you were a kid, back in the old days, yeah. when we had three networks, <laughs> bitch, let me tell you, they had us mm-hmm. under mind control. They did. Like yeah. if you want yeah. to see a show, it wasn't, no, it wasn't like you can go look at it later mm-hmm. or go online or whatever. <laughs> your ass had to be sitting there with your snacks. Yep. <laughs> you had to watch it. Mm-hmm. And if you, there are times and when I would, like, oh God, and the there were times when I would weep because we'd be come home from somewhere yeah. and there'd be an episode of Joni Loves Chachi on. <laughs> 
and my mama was taking too long to get shit done and I would get in and I would have to wait like maybe a whole year in the summer maybe if they did reruns or whatever and I just thought to myself he remembers the days of the rabbit ears oh yeah the pliers so I got a little nostalgic reading the forward and I thought thank God let me set him up someone is here to save us so you can't beat that intro that's the best best intro I've ever had that's what I'm talking about shit she she dropped some bombs on you. She would just freestyle. Like on I you, love how many people do the work and you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have time to, to teach a lot of stuff to uh-huh. people. I just want to be able to say, here's a source. Mm-hmm. Do your research, bitch. Do your research. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> what else is up? So we got my man here today. Uh, award-winning writer, producer, author, instructor. Um, director of the UCLA program, which one? Is yeah, it? now I'm running the um, MFA in writing for television program wow. at UCLA. You gotta be somebody. Wait, 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 wait. He just important. says it like it's like. Yeah, well, like you know, I work, you know, I work at Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm just kind of doing. I'm time. a barista. And, uh, <laughs> Well, you know, when I, I'm an alum from UCLA Film School, and, and it really was a film school when I yeah. went there. Yeah. We didn't even have TV classes. So mm-hmm. when I finished in the 80s, um, I. Neil Landau, by the way, I didn't uh, get that out. <laughs> I um, I used to write with a writing partner, and she was mm-hmm. an English major. And so when I graduated, we we used to write three days a week on our mm-hmm. spare time while we were doing our day jobs and finishing our degrees. And mm-hmm. we wrote a spec script. Um, we wrote several, but the third one we wrote was called became "Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead." Yeah, yes. So I went right into movies, but that. Screen, that screenplay, which was written on spec, mm-hmm. while we're waiting to see if it was going to get made or not, because we sold it, but then it was it was originally developed for Justine Bateman, who was mm, on Family Ties at the time. Nice. Oh my god! I mean, yes. there were so many drafts, and then it it went into turnaround. So 20th Century Fox ended up buying it, but mm. they decided not to make it. And then it sat for a while, and then HBO and Warner Brothers made it when we got Christina Applegate, and the rest is history there. Mm-hmm. But that screenplay got into the hands of um, Stephen Bochco, and we got... Who's that? Friend. I don't know who that is. That's you know, who, who that is? <laughs> um, who that and is? I, I th- because we were really young, and they, you know, he was doing Doogie Howser, mm-hmm. which was a very young Neil Patrick Harris as a mm-hmm. 16-year-old doctor. So we got into television off of a feature, um, which happens but rarely did it, it didn't happen that much back then though did no, it because no. they didn't really cross paths too Not much really right? no but at the time you didn't have all these tv programs people mm-hmm. weren't at the time nobody wrote spec pilots mm-hmm. it was not a viable way to call in cards sure. you had to go through and pay your dues mm-hmm. and be a writer's assistant or mm-hmm. a script coordinator if you were lucky enough to get one of those jobs because mm-hmm. with only three oh or God. four networks yep. there were very few mm-hmm. opportunities um so you had to work your way up from staff writer, story editor, you know, executive story editor mm-hmm. into the producer ranks. And that was the only way to really, once you had a, a track record, just working your way up through staff, then maybe you'd get a chance to develop a pilot mm-hmm. at a network. But mm-hmm. it would be people who knew you and knew your work and you had, you know, you had your bona fides. But so we worked on Doogie Howser, which I thought was actually a really good show. It was a great and show. And got to work with Stephen Bochco, which was part of a dream because when I was an undergrad at... Cal State Northridge before I transferred to UCLA. Um, my internship was at MTM Enterprises, which oh, was Mary Tyler Moore, Tyler Moore. Rand, Rand yeah. company, yep. at CBS Radford in Studio City, which mm-hmm. is now a few blocks from where I live. And I interned on Hill Street Blues. Oh. Um, so I interned at MTM, but then 
within the, your internship. It was a very structured internship, th which was great. You didn't get paid, but they really treated that you were not exploited. It was a formal program where you got to go to dailies, you right. got to go to the editing room, you got to be on set. Of it. So I really? was on set at Hill Street Blues, and at the time they were doing <laughs> Newhart, St. Elsewhere, um, Hill Street Blues, and there was one other. Oh, Remington Steel. Oh, God, yes, um, Remington Steel. So that was just a good part of the whole education. But that, you know, so a feature got us a TV job. Then later when my writing partner and I split up, I wrote, a, I was developing a feature for Bette Midler, who used to have a company Who's called that? All Girl Productions <laughs> at Disney. And mm -hmm. that screenplay um, got into the hand. My One of my, one of Bette Midler's producing partners, Margaret South, um, was married to Frank South, who was the showrunner of Melrose Place. Mm -hmm. And she was reading my rewrites on the script and she, and Frank heard her laughing and she he's like, what? What's so, you know, what's so fucking funny, you know? And she's like, this writer, he's really, you know, and he said, I want to read it. So that was just a lark. It didn't come huh. from an agent or anybody. He read it. And that, after, if you write with a writing partner and have any success, right. and all of your works are together, mm -hmm. when you split up, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, I, in a lot of ways, I had to go back to square one. You had to reinvent. Totally had mm -hmm. to reinvent. Um, the only advantage was we were at CAA and our agent, decided not to drop us she was open to representing us separately because wow, it was kind of cool. like a divorce it was mm -hmm. an ugly breakup Aww. at the time sure, we're sure. friends again so um i was very fortunate when i because i wasn't working and mm -hmm. that's how i started teaching originally at ucla extension oh really because i couldn't get a job because everybody's like well how do we know what you wrote and what she wrote and everything was linked <laughs> right mm -hmm. so i had to create a new some new writing samples new body of work when the phone rang and it was Frank South saying, hey, do you want to come right from Melrose Place? I have an opening. <laughs> and you were like, mm, let me think about that. Oh, yes. <laughs> I would, Before you hung up, you were in the office. <laughs> it was like an answer. To, it was an answer to a prayer at the time because mm -hmm. I remember just being like, is this it? Am yeah. I never going to work again? Mm -hmm. I really don't know where it's coming from. I'm glad, you know, in retrospect, when you look back at some what you consider to be right. your greatest failures, because mm -hmm. that's how I started to teach. And I love teaching and I've been teaching now really for, you know, <laughs> yeah. 15 years. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so that wouldn't have happened. And, you know, but part of why I started writing books about writing and creating television and how I kind of segued into running the department at UCLA, which is now really the school of our department is film, television, and digital media. And <laughs> they had to be current, and, okay. <laughs> Television and digital media is now like where the majority of the interest is from our students. Sure. Mm -hmm. Because that's that's where the opportunities are. Mm -hmm. And the movie business has changed so mm -hmm. much. Yeah. I mean, there's a very small circle of A-listers who mm -hmm. are pretty much the ones who mm -hmm. write many, if not all, of the big blockbuster kind of movies. Right. With that kind of investment, you need somebody tried and true. Every once in a while, somebody slips through mm -hmm. the cracks, and you know we've had some of those students at UCLA just this past year with their movies, but most of the success is coming from television, mm -hmm. and we have lots of TV classes, both mm -hmm. where they write spec episodes of both drama and comedy. We have a mutual friend who just did she get her master's yet, or she's getting her master's? She's getting her master's now. Linnell White, and she of just course. Won, you know Linnell. She's, right. she's, oh, she's on class. my show all the time. Yeah, yeah. Linnell is so talented, mm -hmm. and. I mean, just she. I mean, she was already a pro when she came into our right. program. Mm -hmm. I mean, she was on Army Wives, mm -hmm. and she Z Nation, Z Nation, Z Nation yeah. exactly. She's <laughs> extremely talented. Hi, Linnell. What's up, girl? 
very <laughs> prolific. You know, she was in the Air Force, as you know. Mm -hmm. She's extremely super smart. Like she smart. is the. Yes. I tell people, like, look, if something goes down, yep. I'm gonna be at Linnell's place. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> we go into the airport because she's oh, gonna fly the plane to get us out of here. She can fly it. She also she probably. I mean, undoubtedly, from her um, military experience, extremely prolific because she's so disciplined True. about right. sitting in the chair and getting mm -hmm. her work done. Right. Mm -hmm. Never an excuse. Mm -hmm. You give her a note, even if she thinks it's the stupidest note she's ever heard, you would never mm -hmm. know it because she just says, all right, I'm, I'll look at that. I'll take care of that. She always transcends the note. You mm -hmm. know, she makes it her own. So, yeah, it was, she's a pleasure. She's, mm -hmm. she's, she's going to have a very bright future, I can guarantee mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, and actually over the last, I guess, from the last four years of our students who are, have a TV <coughs> emphasis in our MFA program, there are now 18 people staffed on shows. That's great. I mean, right. amazing yeah, just that's two Tony more. the Tiger. Okay, brain, that's like <laughs> two more just got staffed. One on the magicians on Sci-Fi, the uh -huh. other one on Dead of Summer. On actually three more: Dead mm -hmm. of Summer, which is on Freeform, mm -hmm. and another one is on is on um, uh, Lucifer on Fox. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. You right my, my mother loves that show. <laughs> <laughs> so part of you know to talk about the book a little bit. Um, Let's tell them what it's called. Yeah, let's get it set up. It's called. TV outside the box, and then the subheading is trailblazing in the digital television revolution. When I first, do you take a breath out breath after that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like a tongue twister. Okay. Right? It is. Well, but there's, you know, just like we're all writers, every word matters here because mm -hmm. it is doing work. Yeah, every word is doing work. Every, every, no, it is because um, the topic is so vast. Mm -hmm that I had to make it trailblazers. Mm -hmm. And as I was researching it, I realized there I would it was almost like these are the people first in the gate. These mm -hmm. are the pioneers in, you know, streaming and digital. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, there'd be another show that came and I'm like, all right, I'll open the gate again and let one more in. <laughs> but none of the rest of y'all. I can't, I can't. The book is oh it's four hundred and fifty six pages. I had to take out over a hundred pages just oh because ten interviews are actually not even in the book. It refers you to is a it link. Is there going to be a part two? Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I'm actually thinking about doing another book that doesn't have interviews that is a deeper dive into writing okay. and creating television mm -hmm. only because I did 20 lectures for UCLA video lectures okay. and they own the videos, but I own the IP. Can gotcha. you download them on, on, you online? Will, with the... For students who take online classes, okay. they wanted to be able to give them a lecture component because right. they can't come to campus where I lecture right. Monday nights. Okay. So so I did all these lectures, and each one is stuff I hadn't really talked about before, and mm -hmm. it's all about the changing landscape and how it's affecting storytelling and, right. you know, against formula and how people are reinventing, you know, like Kim, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt's kind of reinventing mm -hmm. the sitcom. And, Definitely. Um, so anyway, I, I think I'll do another book that doesn't have interviews next. Because what happens with a book like this, this book much more, because this is my fourth book. The, the other books were basically things I've been teaching that I've experienced myself and that I've experienced through working with students and mm -hmm. with writers. But it was basically just kind of downloading it from my brain and organizing it into these other these mm -hmm. first three books. From your perspective. From my perspective mm -hmm. and my experience. I did want interviews because I hate, in general screenwriting books where the person writing the book hasn't really accomplished a huge amount. <laughs> they worked on Cadme and Lacey and <laughs> freaking or sometimes once. nothing, which doesn't mean they can't impart really valuable information. No, not at all. But not I all. felt like I'm not arrogant, or and I wouldn't deign to say I know everything. Mm -hmm. Sure. I want to get the people who are, are who have done it. You know, mm -hmm. like, 
um, and who are doing it. And I wanted, I welcomed dissension, you know, mm -hmm. so I, I, I loved it if, you know, different people agreed and disagreed because everybody's right and everybody's wrong. And, mm -hmm. and I, but with this particular book, I didn't, I knew almost nothing about digital television. Really? I took two years to research it. I, and I went out with, a, you know, it was very zen, you know, like with a beginner's mind, mm -hmm. totally open mind. I didn't have any agenda. And I literally just went around and said, I'm writing this book and I want to find out what you're doing. And like at Netflix talking to Ted Sarandos, he's the mm -hmm. head of acquisitions, mm -hmm. you know, like, so how did this start? What has it evolved into? What are you looking for? How do you find, you know, how do you, do you develop? Do you not develop? I just started to ask a lot of questions. I went to the Writers Guild and talked to Chuck Slocum, who's the mm -hmm. co-executive director, to say, how is this affecting us? Because mm -hmm. people are expected to do a lot more work up mm -hmm. front. Right. And there's not back end deals at streaming networks. Um, I just want to say, I just want to say something really quick. So how I met Neil, yeah. Neil came into, I'm on the education committee right. um, at the Writers Guild. <clears throat> and I haven't, I haven't announced this yet on, on any of the podcasts. I don't mean to interrupt your time, but no um, I'm now the vice chair of the black committee. I haven't even told you. <laughs> and I'm the vice chair of the LGBT committee. So apparently uh, all the intersections. Okay, look. <laughs> and <laughs> well, that's what I was talking. And about I'm Jeff the new overlord exactly. of the universe. <laughs> You're very well. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so apparently I'm the first person ever to be on two committees at the same time. On, on that level, I was like, really? So Jeff called me the other day. He says, so I think we should make you the unofficial, uh, <laughs> of the education committee. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. In an EGOT. Yes. Was the Emmy, Emmy, Grammy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. Okay. I'll yes. take that. You'll be like, yeah. Like, yes. Of the Writers Guild. Yes. Um, exactly. But, but he came in and spoke to us and I said, and I was telling you, Neil, you got two minutes in and I was like, Wow, this we have to have this guy on the show. He's so you're like an encyclopedia of knowledge. So I find it fascinating that you were saying, you know, two years before you wrote the book, you were like, I don't have a clue either, but you're able to master that in two years because anything you just know everything. Well, anyway, I, so have, go ahead. I have, <laughs> I guess, what I consider to be kind of a um, an an ailment, uh, which now I've learned to embrace, which is kind of OCD. Oh, okay. So. I do have, I, and I remember everything. It's, right. I mean, I don't have autobiographical memory, you know, right. like, <laughs> unforgettable, you know, Poppy Mind Memory. I, it's not uh -huh. like that. I right. can't tell you Idiot what I was wearing, or something. you know, last, uh, last autumn, you know, on a Thursday. <laughs> but I, I remember, it's weird. I don't know. I do, I remember dialogue. I remember plot lines and mm -hmm. I remember the creative auspices of things. I remember mm -hmm. names of things. And mm -hmm. when people, so everything in the book, it's sort of burned into my brain. I don't know exactly why. Um, and what I did, well, part of it is when anytime you do something where it's my words sort of explaining things mm -hmm. with a context, both historical and kind of where it's going and putting my spin on it and my opinion, anytime I'm doing that um, and I'm writing just from my experience, uh, that that's the easiest part of doing these kind of books because I'm summarizing and I'm, you know, it's my voice. When you go to do interviews, it, it turns into an enormous amount of work because um, well, one, I have to prepare for each interview. Yep. So that means I have to watch or read every episode mm -hmm. because I like my last book. I interviewed like Shonda Rhimes, for example. You don't want to interview Shonda Rhimes without knowing your shit because you know she'll mm -hmm. she'll dissect you, you know. And she <laughs> and and it's a sign of respect, you know, that you you did your homework. So I spent hundreds, if not thousands, of hours just preparing for the interviews. Then 
I wanted to have smart questions that weren't just the obvious, you know, superficial kind of things. And the interviewees, whenever they realized I was going to try to go deeper into the craft, into the process, they suddenly dropped the guard and they were really like, oh, we're both, we're writers. We can talk now. Oh, yeah, now. yeah, yeah. They so can they relate. opened up. Even the mm-hmm. most guarded people opened up once they realized, you know, I wanted to kind of get to the creative process right. and their inspiration and stuff like that. But then once the interviews are done, those are audio recorded. Then they have to be transcribed. Then they have to be edited. Mm-hmm. Then they have to go back to the interviewee who has to approve it. And right. then it goes from people like, I re- interviewed Ricky Gervais about mm-hmm. Derek on oh, Netflix. Really? That's right. Ricky Gervais, who was a pleasure and like the nicest guy, mm-hmm. like the opposite of his image of being, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a jerk. He mm-hmm. was, could not have been more generous and magnanimous and open. He had one word on his interview, which was very quite long. He only changed one word. And then there's other people where we went back four, five, six, seven rounds. Really? <laughs> like you said wait, it. What do you mean you wait, want to change because it? Because sometimes you say stuff and then some time has passed and you look at it and you're like, Okay, maybe I need to clarify yeah, yeah, and make sure, because that's coming off not how I mean. Uh-huh. Let me just make sure I just tweak it a little bit more, you know? Anyone who had any kind of, especially executives who had any kind of law school or legal background. Oh, okay. And it's what, you know, Hillary gets criticized about mm-hmm. a lot, which, you know, I don't understand. I mean, in that, you know, she parses language. She's mm-hmm. a lawyer. Mm-hmm. She's very careful about her words. And people say she's not authentic because she's very careful about which word she uses. Mm-hmm. But she's all, I, I actually respect that as a writer mm-hmm. because words matter. Mm-hmm. And I understand the authenticity aspect. But when you're, you know, when you're, when the soundbite in our world now can make or break you and destroy right. you, I think mm-hmm. I appreciate somebody who's very careful about their words. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so it turned out to be, there were 65 interviews, only 55 of them are in the book because the book got so big. Yeah. And Tom Fontana, who you mentioned, which I, I'm glad you mentioned that because um, when I I'd interviewed... See how he calls him like as his cousin or something. <laughs> no, no. But, all, but also like extremely nice. But some of these I got very lucky with because what happened was with a book like this about you know, digital and streaming and, you know, the game changers. I knew I had to interview Bo Willeman, House of mm-hmm. Cards, Genji Cohen, Orange is the New Black. I mean, mm-hmm. just because they were such pioneers and they went into a space before it was fashionable. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now everybody is mm-hmm. following in their footsteps. But mm-hmm. at the time, I remember even thinking, why is Genji Cohen doing Orange is the New Black for Netflix? Like, mm-hmm. it, it's every I show. Because the first thing yeah. you think of is like, how do you go make money? Yeah. Because <laughs> your first thought, because usually when you think of television, the first thing you think of is hand in hand. You think of advertising. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the first thing you think of is like, how are they going to make money if they don't have commercials and stuff? And basically, it says in the book, like, subscribers. Subscribers. Uh-huh. And I'm it's one a of renewable them. resource <laughs> yes. every month. And all they need to do, and we'll get into the philosophy behind yeah, it definitely. in a few minutes, because all they need to do is keep their subscribers happy. And so one of the theses of the book is niche is the new mainstream. Exactly. Mm. And exactly. you don't need to just create programming that's going to reach the widest, broadest, which often translates to the lowest common mm-hmm. denominator of viewership. Mm-hmm. You can have a very highbrow, smart, sophisticated show like House of Cards, and then you can have Fuller House also on Netflix, <laughs> which is a you know multicam, mm-hmm. you know not Sitcom. not the House mm-hmm. of Cards audience. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to Ted Sarandos in the interview, I said, you know, because I really didn't know. I, now it sounds ignorant to have asked him this, <laughs> but I said, so what's your brand at 
Netflix. What's your mandate? Are you you're looking for sort of smart, you know, layered, nuanced, deep character pieces like Orange is the New Black and House of Cards? And he said, no, absolutely not. In fact, he said, if that was the if that was our brand, we would be out of business very wow, soon. Wow, interesting. We need something for everyone. Mm-hmm. So for them, exclusivity and choice trump reaching the widest possible demographic. Huh. You know, and broadcast networks, if you think about the word broadcast, it's mm-hmm. casting the broadest possible right, net. Sure. Right. Broadcast networks are now becoming much more niche or niche, however you mm-hmm. want to say mm-hmm. it. And it's causing them to up their game. So shows like American Crime on mm-hmm. ABC, that's a premium cable or streaming mm-hmm. quality show. I think it's a great show. Mm-hmm. And it's an anthology, which used to be a bad word in broadcast television. Oh, I love and I'm working on getting one of the anthology on the show. It is a great show. And People versus OJ. I mean, FX mm-hmm. and AMC were already kind of going into the premium kind of content sure. route only with advertising. But uh, so anyway, with Tom Fontana, I, I was able through just fortunately, I've, I'm old enough and been in the business long enough that I, I know a lot of people. Mm-hmm. If I call them and say, which I'm in a different place in my career now. So if I call them and say, I want to interview you for my book. Or will you come be a guest speaker at UCLA? Mm-hmm. I'm very comfortable asking those things. And very rarely will anybody say no. Because it's a form of giving back. And they want to be part. This is almost like a historical document. Like, sure. I want to document this revolution when mm-hmm. the whole TV right. business changed. Um, if I was calling them and saying, hey, do you, do you have a spot on your writing staff for me? Mm-hmm. Can you Will you attach yourself to one of my projects? <laughs> that would be a very different response. And to tell you the truth, now that I'm... 50 something. I love <laughs> being treated like a peer mm-hmm. and not like, you know, there was a show that um, uh, Peter Lefcourt did in the 2000s called Beggars and Choosers mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. Showtime. Mm-hmm. Remember that yeah. show? Yeah. Which was a good show, which if it was on today would have probably yeah. sustained, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. but at the time it was just really difficult to get mm-hmm. anybody to watch a show like that on Showtime because it wasn't what was being developed or even consumed. But Beggars and Choosers, it was about behind the scenes in the TV business, and the executives were the choosers mm-hmm. with all the power, you know, the, the studios and the networks, and the writers, the talent, were the beggars. And you were always, like, trying <laughs> yeah. to bang on the doors That's and a great little waiting reversal, for somebody to give you a break. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I remember during TV staffing season when I was in my 20s and 30s, mm-hmm. I mean, that was my reason for living you know i mean i spent the whole year campaigning and positioning myself and trying to get into Mm -hmm. every general meeting and get on all the lists and if you didn't get staffed it was like musical chairs Mm -hmm. you know and when all the chairs were full at the end of staffing season you were like (laughs) well now what am i gonna do and you you know you had to really scramble um and now to have this kind of access to showrunners and top executives at companies because of i'm coming at it from a different perspective Mm -hmm. i i just have to say i like that um, so and, and we feel the same way having the show. We're able to meet those type of people too. Yeah, you know, through the, and we right? didn't know that this was going to open doors for it's, showrunners and people to Glimmer's there and all these people just to come, come and just show. talk and just yeah. say, hey, mm-hmm. you know, they're very. Most people are very generous with their mm-hmm. time and their knowledge and their wisdom and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And what I use it for now is to bring people to UCLA and to help my students. Sure, uh, it's not about me and my ego anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm very. I'm at peace with where I am and what I'm doing, mm-hmm. fortunately, after many years of not being, <laughs> you know, beating myself up every morning. But so I got to meet um, Bo Willeman through a, a mutual friend who was friends with one of the producers on House of Cards. Mm-hmm. And Bo um, is in New York. So I happened to be going to New York. And so he invited me to lunch. And we had like this really long lunch. And 
he it was weird it was like he confided in me about all kinds of <laughs> new projects like i knew he was gonna be leaving house of cards mm-hmm. but i he told me like he really opened up to me off the record once the interview was mm-hmm. over then when he came to la we hung out he then said you have he said are you going to interview tom fontana for your book <laughs> and i said well it's about the digital television revolution and he said well you know um he's done borgia for netflix mm-hmm. right but also he said if you're going to provide a context for where television is you have to write about oh my tom god fontana because oz was the first one hour <sighs> mm-hmm. drama series for hbo mm-hmm. and not only that but my show that really made me appreciate police procedurals homicide. because it was yeah. fucking homicide. Oh God, yeah. Because you know three shows that be like, eh, eh. but because they they like totally bent and reshaped what uh, a show about police could be about, mm-hmm. and that show was my shit. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> like they would have like stiff like the best music, and sometimes mm-hmm. they would just have music interludes where the characters would be doing stuff, and it'd be mm-hmm. like this music that would like tell the story for mm-hmm. you, and it was like. I mean, back in the days... Because Cold Case started doing that at the end. Yeah, but it's like people, yeah, people people would do all that stuff and it was like, until you saw that. And then plus, they had like so many rich... It was like the first time I saw so many rich male characters. Mm -hmm. The first time I saw a male character question his sexuality, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. you got to see, you know, and of course one of my favorite characters, one of the few female characters on there, she'd have like her little power suits and I thought, oh my God, (laughs) that is so me! I love it! But it changed the game mm-hmm. and it really brought good storytelling it wasn't about the shoot 'em up and all that it was really like it sounds corny now because there's so many shows that are like that now but i'm telling you when that shit came out mm-hmm. i would not miss homicide for the world like yeah. i would like have my little vhs tape in there like i was not gonna miss this <laughs> I totally all, the, all the kids listening you know? are like what's a vhs no i know <laughs> yeah I know. exactly it feels then, like that long and then ago. from time to move from that to doing stuff from you know from hbo where the hbo as children back in the old days <laughs> home box office you when you went to a movie you wouldn't see it again this is almost before we had you know video stores mm-hmm. when hbo came out it was like Conkers because now we could see movies and you pay your little and it was like weird like people are gonna pay money <laughs> you know every month on top of like regular free TV mm-hmm. and it you know and so you would have movies and stuff like that but then when they started making scripted people were like how the fuck are you gonna make money mm-hmm. you know it is, this is a business mm-hmm. how are you gonna make money mm-hmm. you know well with um Netflix in particular Netflix right. is now in every country in the world except for China so oh, really? Even in I Russia now. I huh. mean, you know, the hotbed of piracy. But mm-hmm. they, they do have subscribers in every country. And um, I think once you watch TV without commercials, it's hard to go back. Oh, my God. You know? Oh, my and God. People do like free stuff, mm-hmm. but people also value their time. Mm-hmm. So if you can watch, you know, like I, I don't know if you've seen Casual on Hulu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think really I've seen great show. Too, yeah. um, Jason Reitman's involved mm-hmm. in it. And. A guy named Xander Lehman created it, mm-hmm. who, by the way, you know, like had, it's his first show he created. He's now running the show. Okay. He's an executive producer. <laughs> he, That's not bad. I love You know, he wrote it on spec and Hulu just loved his voice and they gave him a shot, which also, you know, those kinds of things didn't mm-hmm. happen. It was very rare. I mean, Sam Esmel, who does, um, Mr. Robot, mm-hmm. he'd never created a show and he's running a show and directing mm-hmm. and writing all, almost all the episodes for the new season. That's, mm-hmm. a, you know, it's very unusual. Right. But on casual, um, you can, you have the option on Hulu that you can either watch it with commercials or without. If you pay slightly more, like an extra two bucks a month, you can watch without commercials. 
And so without commercials, you can watch an episode of Casual in about 21, 22 minutes. And <laughs> you can't help but binge it, right? Yeah. And, and <laughs> oh, you, my you God. Can watch, or like Catastrophe, Transparent, mm-hmm. all the, the, you know, those, the, the short ones, the, ha- the shorter orders and the shorter mm-hmm. lengths of the episodes. Mm-hmm. You can. You can watch the whole season very, very quickly. Sure. But Casual, I just find that it cuts to black where the commercial would be. But when you're watching it without the commercials, there's just an, a rhythm to it. Yes. That is so important. And mm-hmm. so I think people do value that. There are streaming services now. There's there's one called um, CISO, which is I write about in the book. Um, it's NBC Universal streaming all comedy 24-7 network. Huh. And okay. it was basically designed to not – it's a subscription um, service, but it's considered an add-on. So it's about three to about three about three or four dollars a month. Mm-hmm. And That's not bad. <laughs> and if you get an Amazon Prime membership mm-hmm. to watch Amazon Studios content, you can now get they'll add on CISO for you. And oh, that's oh, good I'll to know. That. No commercials. <laughs> it's like all seasons of Saturday Night Live and all the NBC, you know, like The Office and Parks and Rec and all of those shows. Mm-hmm. And then they're. Um, Monty Python stuff that's kind of digitized. Oh, my God. (laughs) They have all the legacy stuff. But then, you know, I'm friends with Evan Shapiro, who's the guy who basically launched CISO. You know, it was his project. He used to be president of Pivot, which is a digital cable network. Mm -hmm. But um, so I saw him recently and I said, you know, how is it doing? Because it just launched pretty recently. And he's it's like surpassed all of their expectations. And I said, what's doing best? Is it people downloading old episodes of SNL? Mm-hmm. He said, no, our originals by far really? are the most popular. Because people are tired of seeing the same, same yep. shit. You've been saying it like, this is, oh, look, this is my thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I'm going to I'm gonna have to go write Netflix and say, can I just come watch movies and help y'all curate? Because yeah. here's my problem now. And this is, and this is a network. <laughs> no, this is a network I wish I could create. Maybe I should just create it myself. Mm-hmm. Because there's so many international shows. Like, there's this one show I want to see that's from Iceland. And, oh, God, I can't remember the same. But it's on the same. Uh, it has a similar feel for a, a, sh- a show I just watched. And I'm hoping they got to. Just got a second season called Fortitude. Yes. Oh, that's but, there's, but it's another one that takes place in Iceland where, like, it's like this murder mystery. And they're mm. stuck because a blizzard has come in. Like, mm-hmm. this cruise ship has come in. There's a murder mystery. God, I can't keep myself. That sounds like my kind I can't, of show. <laughs> But it's from Iceland. Okay. And I've been going on, like, I've been, like, trying, like, I've been doing, I'm not saying I'm doing illegal stuff, <laughs> but what I'm saying is I'm going online and I'm trying to find it. And I just found out the Weinsteins had just, like, they, they got the rights to it to broadcast it soon. But the problem with that is they're taking too damn long. <laughs> so I wish I could make, like, either my own mm-hmm. kind of Netflix thing or if mm-hmm. Netflix lets me do it for them <laughs> and they just pay me where the top international TV shows, mm-hmm. where I could watch them. And pay whatever it is and not have to wait for another country to buy the rights to it and either A, try to make a remake and take forever, fucking long. I want to see the original thing in the people's language subtitled. Like there's shows in Brazil I fucking want to see. And there are shows that are in the, like I just found a show on Amazon from the Ukraine. It has a terrible title, but I like the show called (laughs) The Sniffer. It's kind of like, it's it's a Ukraine show. And they had like, it came out like in 2013. They had like one episode. Fuck them. Why? But terrible title. Mm-hmm. But a guy is like the mentalist, but he could smell stuff and figure out crimes and stuff. So it's like these all these amazing <laughs> international TV shows that I want to watch because mm-hmm. I'm tired of looking at regular American content. Yeah, I, I want to see the world. And I thank God Amazon and Netflix are starting to do that where 
you know, they said things that you can see and they've got them broken down by mm-hmm, countries. Mm-hmm. The thing is, I need them to up their whoever's picking the films because some of the <laughs> shit they picking for their foreign stuff is like, mm-hmm. y'all, okay. I tend to watch all the British shows on Netflix. I think I've, I've done, I've watched so every well single, done. I've watched everything from Britain That's so far. So well yeah, yeah, me too. Now I've moved so into well like the Ukraine and Iceland. Like I want to okay. see everything, yeah, yeah. like I don't want to see regular American white mm-hmm. folk. I'm tired of that. <laughs> I want to see what other white folk in the other parts of the world are doing. <laughs> like what y'all doing? Because they look like real interesting people. It's like here we get our regular Hollywood look. So it's like, I've got to figure out a way. And for me, that's specific niche. Let me, let me ask you a question. TV, you know, yeah, yeah. very you, specific. You probably get this question a lot based on your book. Why is it that Netflix and the other big Hulus and whatever can get away with not telling you how many viewers they have? Well, it's just starting to shift where they are now starting to report. And okay. there, is a, there is a way they can measure viewership. Um, the main reason is just that they're not beholden to advertisers, which they, telling they don't need to because no. it, that's all about determining ad rates. And that yeah. might fuck up my shows that I particularly want to watch. Because yeah, Marco might Polo be, is back and I'm like, oh my God, yeah, it might be something specific <laughs> and small. Like, for example, Fortitude. Like, uh-huh. not people are probably not interested right. in a murder mystery horror thing set in Icelandic places, sure. you know, with no famous people in it, so mm-hmm. to speak, you know. Yeah. And it's like, oh, if they saw those numbers, oh, well, only Lisa <laughs> and that guy down, that guy down in Australia are watching it. Mm-hmm. The show ain't making us. I paid my dis- subscription. Yeah, yeah. I want to see that show. Y'all can watch Adam Sandler if you want to, but don't. It's like almost I'm afraid for them not to because then it, I, I don't know. Maybe it's the stigma of people thinking it of only a small amount mm-hmm. of people are watching it. But look, we all know McDonald's ain't the best hamburger. <laughs> On That's the planet, right. quantity doesn't necessarily. So, so, do they have to do it now, or did they decide to do it now? What, what happened? Well, they're just people who are a lot of the agents and people who represent the talent mm-hmm. like to use numbers like that to also justify, helps you know, making deals and mm-hmm. quotes and how much, and then just budgets for the show. I think mm-hmm. so. A lot of people want to know the numbers. A lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one of the people I interviewed in the book, who you can read the interview, like if you go to the hyperlink or the web bonus you know website Ooh, content. Bonus content. but it's this guy his name is byron Velasco, and he did a show um he does a show called kingdom for um direct tv mm-hmm. it's a right. you know people know it because nick jonas is in it mm-hmm. right it's about yeah. cage fighters mm-hmm. it's a really good show like it's mm-hmm. so not a show that i would have normally watched mm-hmm. but mma cage fighters mm-hmm. that's people my love that yeah great writing <laughs> mm-hmm. really good acting mm-hmm. and it's now going into i think it's I think they're we're going on the fourth season now. Oh, I thought it was script. third season. Wow, third good. season's airing, but I think okay. they're now going oh, to a fourth season. Yeah. Okay. And I said to him, you know, do you have any idea what your ratings are? It's direct mm-hmm. TV. It's not even a digital streaming thing. It's. Mm-hmm. He said, I have no idea. It doesn't really? matter to me. He goes, I, lo- I get to make the show I want to make. Right. Yes. They don't micromanage or interfere very much. Really? And he worked on a lot of, you know, broadcast network right. shows where you're mm-hmm. just always anxious. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're on a hit show, you're anxious. That the Those overnights, like the, yeah. the, the stress. I remember Very like stressful. when our friends that work in TV, mm-hmm. like in the early days, mm-hmm. you know, like, like I would say up to like maybe 15 years ago, mm-hmm. if a new show was coming out, you know, it was premiering and then those overnight numbers start coming in and they don't hit a certain number then they're like, well, yeah. we going to cancel this yeah. show. You know, there ain't not enough people watching. Yeah. And, of course, my argument was, you don't let them give enough time they to build even, an They haven't audience. even figured out what the show is well, in the that's for first four episodes. You know? Part of why this is literally a revolution is, you know, overnight 
Nielsen ratings are completely irrelevant now. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares about them mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. And also, let's be let's be real. <laughs> when you talked about Nielsen in the old days, not everybody had a Nielsen box in their house. True. A lot of folks that were determining what shows were staying or whatever weren't necessarily people from marginalized groups that That's had true. to kind of say that, you know. So a lot of times, Nielsen's were skewered towards a certain audience, true. Middle America, mm-hmm. Midwest, mm-hmm. you know, the broadest of the broad, you know. Yep. And it's like, so a lot of times there'd be shows that, you know, where I know everybody, my friends were watching and they're like, mm-hmm. oh, we're going to cancel. It's not getting the rate. I'm like, not getting the ratings. You know, <laughs> you should talk to every black person I know and every Latino. Everybody's watching that show. Mm-hmm. You know, white folks ain't watching it. So what? So that's not for them. Maybe mm-hmm. this is something, you know. Yeah, and yeah. so you get into those kind of, you know, numbers where certain audience are dictating mm-hmm. and preventing other people from seeing stuff because, well, these folks over here don't like it and these numbers are showing. But if you would have had that box in everybody else's house, you would have seen that. It's let, me, totally let me ask you a quick question. Just yeah, piggybacking absolutely. off of that. Now, what you've learned from the people you interviewed in this book. Now, you hear that rumor that, oh, you know, diversity doesn't particularly sell across the seats. Have you found the same? Does it still is it still the same for this digital world mm. where you live in England, for instance, or, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Iceland or whatever the fuck. Right. And you get yeah. Netflix, you know what I mean? And you have the opportunity now to choose as opposed to only getting what they give you. You know, right. Are, are we seeing the ratings change because of that or well, just out of curiosity? One of the greatest honors or you know that i had with all the interviews is i got to interview norman lear and oh you see how he spit his name out like he done he said i'm talking about do you know how old norman is now i just i just heard an interview with him on 93 he's 93 well yeah. no he's 94 now, now because i just i just heard him on i just NPR, heard it too i just heard it too and he was doing a he quiz was show so funny ha- oh my god and i ha- i still have the letter that he signed when he rejected me <laughs> years ago from trying to write when i was like 13 where he says we don't take unsolicited <laughs> stuff hey, and i have it i that. have it framed and i'm like thank you sir well because what was interesting is that in the 70s, when Norman Lear had his shows, which mm-hmm. had lots of people of color, I mean, you had good times of oh, like yeah. an African-American yeah. mm-hmm. family and the projects that mm-hmm. nobody had ever done those kinds that of things. That should have been called struggling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. so good. It was ironic, though. There was, was no ironic. good times. Hanging in a <laughs> Struggling. But we had diversity. We had full diversity on TV. If mm-hmm. They were most of those Norman Lear shows whether he was directly, you know, running the show or he brought mm-hmm. people in. Um, those were in the top 10 of the Nielsen's mm-hmm. and they were, you know, they were successful and right. people watched them and mm-hmm. they were mainstream. And then something happened. The What I call probably like the Aaron Spelling years and mm-hmm. maybe, or maybe it was Reagan, mm-hmm. but the 80s, 90s, mm-hmm. into the early 2000s, mm-hmm. I mean... It was this white those, space. Those soaps at night. It, those, it, uh, and a lot of times it was starting to get into corporate and more relying on more like who we're going to appeal to, mm-hmm. who's our audience, and the Reaganomics and the whole trickle down and trickling everybody else out. <laughs> Some of them trickling it, right? And then there was, well, and this is something that has not changed in 2016, which is the um, executive suites at the big yeah. networks are still ni- over 95% all white. Yeah. And it's male and female, but mm-hmm. I mean, so the gatekeepers are still not representing diversity. Gatekeepers, uh, get you some black friends. 
more than one so that we could just be there and like, look, you, you, you're, you're losing out on so much money. <laughs> yeah. Let me, it's money, let, but totally. you know what happened during those intervening years after the Norman Lear you know, years, yeah. which were those great shows and people watched them and they were extremely mm. popular. I guess somehow they just decided the, demo, the desired demographic for what they were selling were not you know, who they considered to be minorities or mm-hmm. the marginalized weren't the people who they thought or, the, either, or even the advertising, the products that well, black people aren't buying this stuff. Let's mm-hmm. get stuff. And it's like we buy every damn thing. Yeah. And it's yeah. but they just they're th- that myopic view of what the mainstream viewer mm-hmm. and I'm doing air quotes, people, you can't see this <laughs> on, uh, the air. on the air. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, mainstream viewers and those markets. It was just like I when I go back now that you can go back and watch these old TV shows. Mm-hmm. I forget how many people of color, how yeah. many were on there, and it's when you get to those '80s and later shows, you're like, yeah, the friends 70s, like and you said, everything. It was, very diverse it was like, what, what, yeah. what happened? Mm-hmm. It's well, and even <laughs> Genji Cohen, you know, when she, well, I have to backtrack to that for a minute sure. just because it relates to the diversity topic, which, and I also wrote about Russell Simmons was talking because um, NATP, which is the mm-hmm. National Association of Television Programming Executives, this is the first book that they sponsored, so they're. It's you know their little I logos see, on the cover, that. Logo line was which like, was really what? well. It was a great opportunity just because yeah. I got to go to NatP for the book launch. That's a stamp got, right there. That's that a, also yeah. really helped me get to people. And Russell Simmons, when he was talking, he was even saying, you know, like Key and Peele. He says Key and Peele when it was on is was comedy for um, for white folks. You know what? He did say that. You I know what? Heard him talk okay, about and that. I'm I, I will disagree because. I watched that show as soon as those episodes were available to buy. I bought them. Mm-hmm. I would tweet to them like, "Who was doing your hair?" <laughs> they would tweet back like, "It's our special person who did this." Like, mm-hmm. I love that show, and I know there I were black it. people who were watching it too. I love that. So, I don't know what but if you can't get the ratings, which they did, because Comedy Central does report, mm-hmm. it's like a 80 percent white audience for Key and Peele. I'm not saying Understood. that black people don't appreciate it, yeah. but he was just making the point that it was. Safe and accessible. Um, what? Safe. To, I, you know I what? I thought they crossed the line. Not a controversial. Lot. I'm talking about. He was saying it was stuff that white people could watch and laugh at and feel part of the joke, okay. as opposed to. I see where he was going. making points about content where black content creators, people would say, "We can't understand you. We need to subtitle that. Mm-hmm. We need you to be more white." Mm-hmm. We meet or like Margaret Cho. I write about in that chapter too. You know when she did her show All American right. Girl. Mm-hmm. They said she was too Asian and then not Asian enough. And she was, you know, like they were trying to change her from what she was Mm -hmm. to fit into something. And I think he was just saying it was you know, whitewashing. Let's just be real. Call yes. it what it is. Whitewashing out. Hashtag shout out to the fam <laughs> out there. You know, it's you know, I don't know. Sometimes they ask people like when they talk about Russell Simmons mm-hmm. and stuff, who's had some questionable content on his shit. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you ask people, it's like, oh, it's because of this. Like, y'all got to talk to some more folk. No, I agree with that. Definitely. But the, but I understand what you're but saying. The Gingy Cohen point right. in relation to that is when she went to do Orange is the New Black. She she famously has said, I mean, it's based on a memoir by mm-hmm. a blonde, you know, a white woman who went mm-hmm. to prison. But she said she needed Piper. She needed she needed that white Trojan yeah. horse. Called this a Trojan horse. Yeah, it is. It's the white Trojan horse yep. to make white people comfortable. Yep. Like, oh my God, there are so many people of color that I can't yep. relate to. Oh, but here's a nice, safe white woman who's going to hold my hand and make <laughs> me feel like I can relate. And then, oh my God, you people are just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. I totally get that, but it's tiresome. It is tiresome, and interestingly enough, I, but I did say to her, you know, 
do you think if you were trying to sell Orange is the New Black now that Netflix has taken off and mm-hmm. that people are, you know, we have Blackish and Fresh Off the Boat and mm-hmm. American Crime. And do you think you would still need that if you were going to sell it now, like in 2017? What she said? She said she thinks she probably still she would. Still would. Think she yeah, would. She still would. Yeah, she would. Listen absolutely. to this. She this would. One of the most interesting takeaways from all the interviews. Um, so I said, after the, you know, you created... Weeds, which was a very successful mm-hmm. show. It was on, I think, for five or six seasons. Right. Mm-hmm. I said, so after the success of Weeds, why did you decide to do Orange is the New Black for Netflix and not for Showtime? Yeah. Could have went right in you there. You know the answer? Showtime passed. Really? They said, show in a woman's prison, uh, not our audience. You know, Showtime <laughs> has a pretty conservative, their audience, I think they're... Their average, the average age of their viewers is like sixty. Really? If you think of the affair, they can handle Shameless. Sixty <laughs> with a penis. Okay. <laughs> now here's even more interesting. So I said to her, "Okay, so you, you know, Showtime passed, even though Weeds was super successful, and you were mm-hmm. a brand unto yourself. Then you do Orange Is the New Black for Netflix. Now she has another show that's coming called The Devil You Know mm-hmm. about." Uh, Salem Witches with sort of yes. her spin which is going to be on show t- on um, HBO. I HBO, the HBO. It's going to be on HBO. I don't know if y'all read that article. Uh, oh, God, what's his name? Anyway, I, I find the article. I saved it. He has said some interesting things, and he's got me excited for some of the stuff that they're trying to do mm-hmm. that's coming out now, too. But it's like, I think they're waking up. They're realizing we passed on some really good shit. See, I keep thinking, let me interrupt, to keep your thought. I keep thinking Glenn should have, I know he was already at that network developing um, The Omen, whatever the show he was doing, Damien. Yeah. And, and, and I keep thinking, that should have went to HBO or something. It should have been more. Been but people don't realize you know, the behind the scenes machinations because I said to Genji Cohen, why did you? Why are you doing the devil you know for HBO and not for Netflix? Right. Because Orange is the New Black is a bona fide phenomenon. I mean, True. in this new season, the ratings are just, mm-hmm. they did track them and they're mm-hmm. very high. They win the Emmys and they kill them. And the reason she's doing the night of for HBO and not Netflix is that Netflix passed on, really? not the night of, on um, Devil You Know. They passed because really? it just wasn't for them. So let's get into this, which is, I think, the real important part of your book and your research is break down for us the brands, what Ah, it is that each one, because I I think a lot of times we're trying to get our content out there. Let's break it down. What's Netflix thing? What is their their brand? Netflix is um, exclusivity and um, choice. Okay. So, because all they need to do, and and this is an important distinction, the because Netflix and Amazon are by far the largest, you know, streaming on demand services. Sure. <laughs> I have there's both a, of them. <laughs> there's a very big difference between them. Netflix is a media company. Amazon is a retail company. And they got more money too. Amazon is the world's largest retailer now. It's eclipsed Walmart. <laughs> um, so what Amazon needs to do is kind of like the shopping mall, which I fear is probably an endangered species, much oh, like. Yeah. Public libraries. I don't even go to malls. I go to Melrose. (laughs) Well, but think about the shopping mall. The idea of it was there was a big megaplex. Right. Mm -hmm. You'd go there either to see a movie and you'd buy something at a shop before the movie or you'd eat Mm -hmm. or you'd go shopping and then decide to see a movie. So they were magnets to draw you. It was a teenage heaven. You'd ride ride my bike. (laughs) Movies were cheap. Beauty school drop. Now, um, that's what Amazon is. They're going to get you to the site to either watch one of their shows Mm -hmm. or, but no matter, the bottom line for them is they want you to shop and they want you to, and I believe in a not very 
I, it's already starting, but it's going to become more prevalent. When you're watching not only Amazon shows, but other shows, you'll be able to interact with the show. So if somebody's wearing a jacket, you think... Child, oh. you can click onto the jacket. Mm-hmm. It'll show up. The, movie, the, yep. the show you're watching will freeze. <laughs> it'll take you to the screen where it's like, exactly. this is how much it is. What color do you want it yep. in? Yeah. What size? It'll comparison yeah. shop. Your comparison credit card shop. will be stored. Wow. It will click. send it to you, and you will press submit and send, and then you will go back and watch the show and yes. continue on. Oh, my God. Yes. Wow. So this is straight out the Jetson. We in trouble, y'all. <laughs> well, you know, Alvin, in trouble. You in danger. Danger girl. You, danger girl. <laughs> you were talking about some of the directors who passed away, but Alvin Toffler, you know, um, oh, God, yeah. uh, Future Shock. Future mm-hmm. Shock. He yeah. pr- prophesized a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. So Amazon basically just wants you to go to their site and shop. And if it's watching one of their shows or any, you know, any content you want to download or, or stream, that's their goal. Right. Netflix is a media company, so they just need you to, to be happy so you don't cancel your subscription, <laughs> which means that every time well, you... I got yeah. interrupted. Hey, look, you get, I'm get, sorry, but this yeah. is important. Why do they only have certain certain movies? Why do they only have certain movies that are streaming? And the other ones, you have to get the DVD. And they're well, new movies. It's all kinds of licensing deals. And you know, part of the problem is that Netflix, in some ways, the other media companies and the networks felt um, a bit almost ambushed. Okay. Because, which I don't think was malicious on Netflix's part. I just mm-hmm. don't think they had any idea how huge, quite how huge this was all going to okay. be. So, for example, Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. When it was on AMC, it was not a hit. It was a very modest rating. Yeah. You know, show. It was like The Wire. It was yeah. like... That's the selective niche, show, you know, uh, us, us who knew it, you know. And David Simon, by the way, shout out to David Simon, who worked on Homicide mm-hmm. with Barry Levinson and Tom Fontana. So, and David Simon was way ahead of his time right. with mm-hmm. doing that slow burn, serialized right. storytelling sure, sure, sure. and having that, you know, theme for the whole season and and diversity and right. so many things. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so Netflix, when you go to your Netflix screen, you're going to see what's new. And most people now, especially kids and people who are really adept at you know, technologically savvy and media savvy, they're going to immediately go, seen it, seen it, seen it, what's new, what's mm-hmm. new, what's new. So it used to be, you know, like Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad became a huge hit on Netflix. And mm-hmm. a lot of people thought that it was a Netflix original. and that it, they oh, really? Because they give that title to a lot of stuff, you know, Netflix yes. original. Yeah, yeah, Which true. is, in a, in a lot of cases, it's not it's a Netflix not. original. It's not, yeah. What it means is it's more of a Netflix exclusive, like oh, it's now okay. the only place you can watch it. Mm-hmm. But there's fewer chances for that now because there are lots of places you right. can watch mm-hmm. or buy and all of those kinds of things. So they just have to make sure that you're happy and have enough choice that you're going to go, this warrants my monthly subscription fee. But now the networks, you know, CBS has CBS All Access mm-hmm. and all the networks, you know, ABC, NBC, Fox, they all have on-demand mm-hmm. streaming. CBS is going to relaunch, you know, Star Trek as a series, but mm-hmm. it's going to premiere on CBS All Access. Right. So it used to be They'd figure, well, we might as well monetize our second window and, you know, sell- Netflix will pay us money for a show. We're just going to, you know, thank you very much, Netflix. We'll take your money. <laughs> right. But what happened is Netflix was the place everybody started to go as the destination just to watch everything. Mm-hmm. Right. So now you're seeing people leaving Netflix where you can't watch things that you used to. And right. You're, and you get notices. Yeah, they say, let us know. They had a whole mm-hmm. – like they're taking all the Star Trek shit. They're taking away – 2001 Odyssey, Space Odyssey. You can't watch The Wire <laughs> you, they, on Netflix anymore. And you can, yeah, wow. they've taken out, and now I got to jump over to Amazon because I can watch mm-hmm, The Wire exactly. and everything else over there. So, or HBO, HBO now or HBO yeah. Go. So mm-hmm. they're they're now people are getting wise and not viewing Netflix as another revenue stream. They're looking at them as a behemoth competitor, right? And they don't want to help them. So 
one of the biggest game changers of the last few days was how um, Stars was bought by Lionsgate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Lionsgate movies are not doing well. Right. Or they haven't been, but their TV, they're killing it, mm -hmm. right? So now they're going to be able to make content and distribute it themselves on their own on Stars. Mm -hmm. They get, okay. you know, five, over $5 billion for mm -hmm. that. So they don't, because, you know, Lionsgate makes Orange is the New Black. Um, they're the ones who are making the money much more than Netflix, because right. Netflix in the early days did not own their content. Um, now you're going to see Netflix Netflix productions. They're going to cut out. The They're going to start doing their own production, mm. in-house production. Yes. And places like Lionsgate, if they don't have ways to distribute themselves, they're going to always have to go make deals with distribution companies. And they, I think they're going to start to make a lot more money if they can make this work. So, and what about Hulu? Well, Hulu's not international, so it's almost only domestic. Oh, I didn't know that. It's a mm -hmm. few territories, yeah. like, you know, I think the Bahamas and Puerto Rico and some of the, okay. you know, things. But it's not international yet. Yes. Hulu originally began, and this is also another lesson um, that I learned, which is they began pretty much as a second window. So mm -hmm. it was, their business model was, where the place to go to watch reruns? If you missed Jane the Virgin, okay. come yeah, to Hulu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> what's happened to all of those sec companies that were primarily monetizing through second window content, which is a fancy word for reruns. Hmm, right. Um, I love how we change it. Like, we can't call it that. I can't call it a yeah. used car. A pre-owned vehicle. It's not a hoopty. It's not a hoopty. Okay. It's just pre-owned. It's pre-owned. <laughs> so it's not a second window anymore. But now, unless you're, if you're Hulu and you're not making original content, you're toast. You could never mm. stay in business. Just mm. because there's too many other places to watch stuff sure. that you missed. So that's why you're seeing, you know, they did 11, 22, 63, and mm -hmm. they have casual, and you're going to start to see difficult people. More and more originals on Hulu. They're on the map now. People okay. have discovered them. They have, you know, good shows. Um, so I, I think that's that's where we're going, basically. Mm -hmm. And the broadcast networks are not going to go away mainly because of sports. Right. You know, people want to watch sports live. Right. As soon as there's a way to stream sports live reliably, mm -hmm. Like the Super Bowl. Right. Mm -hmm. People could stream it, but more people watched it traditionally. Sure. Although, ironically, people like to watch it. It's like the only time all the gay people come yeah. together. Well, the thing like, is, because we're watch it too. Okay, well, people like the commercial <laughs> Super Bowl because it's an exclusive uh -huh. new commercial <laughs> that you're not going to see yet. So it's right. almost fun watching the commercials just to see what controversial and interesting. I want to see who my friends are. I like, see who's in there. Like that, <laughs> that whole thing with the whole you know Super Bowl thing mm -hmm. like changed the game. Usually you're trying to avoid the commercials. Now it's like, I can't. They're like doing commercials for the new commercials. Mm -hmm. They're coming like, don't forget to watch it's the a Super Bowl. We're having uh -huh. a new thing. That's, so it's, so it's, yeah. so it's Crackle like that with Hulu. I mean, Crackle is advertising. Um, so it's Avod okay. advertising, advertiser supported video on demand. Okay. So mm -hmm. it's more like, you know, it, it, it's on demand, meaning you don't have to watch. I think linear television will go away. Mm -hmm. Other than sports, I think time slots are going to go away because you know nobody under the age of 40 watches commercials or shows in their time slots anymore. Mm -hmm. It's rare. Right. It's rare. My mother's going to be 80. They don't even have TVs oh, in that, their room. Do you know how upset Kids my Kids don't even is? have TVs. They, they just look at their TV. phones. None and they're, of them. It's they, crazy. I have my computer and if I really want to have the movie experience, mm -hmm. I put my LCD projector all across yes. the wall and that's I, very I don't have it. Now. You know, my mother's upset though. <laughs> oh, I don't under, I don't un Oh my God. Yeah. She's so like, well, when does it come? What channel is this on? Now it's <laughs> advertising on this channel. I was like, mm -hmm. mama, just let me just what do you want to see mm. and i will help you find yes. it yes. last two things yeah hbo and showtime well both 
they're very similar to Netflix now in that they have their on-demand options. They have movies that you can watch. Mm-hmm. They make a lot of originals that mm-hmm. are, you know, very high quality. Um, they're all over the world. There's the biggest difference I would say is that HBO and Showtime still do a lot of development. Mm-hmm. Okay. And but Netflix is going to spend over I think it's over 5 billion on develop, on production and development. Goodness. Mm-hmm. Um so they're they're outspending everybody now mm-hmm. because you know, but HBO still likes to do a lot of development, and I know people with HBO deals, and mm-hmm. it's one of the reasons you know Jill Soloway did Transparent for Amazon because she didn't want to sit in development hell mm-hmm. and spend, you know, right, put her heart and soul and blood into something and then not have it get on the air. She knew it was going to get a full series order. Mm-hmm. It was a commitment, and HBO won't do that necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, Amazon greenlit Woody Allen's new series because mm-hmm. he's Woody Allen, sure. but. Um, so Netflix is not that much into development. So when I say they're spending a lot of money, um, it's, it's on production and it's on acquisitions of, you know, formats and content, um, comic books, you know, Marvel's Jessica mm-hmm. Jones and things like that. Right. Um, Netflix generally, what Ted Sarando said is they're not in, they're not going to buy something that's half baked. They're in the fully baked business, so, which is not a euphemism for recreational mm-hmm. marijuana. Um, they are, uh, so they want a package. They want mm-hmm. a pilot script. They want at least one other episode. They want a full series Bible, and they want a, a hot director, and mm-hmm. they want a showrunner. They want cast. You know, they, everybody says they took a big gamble on House of Cards because they greenlit two seasons mm-hmm. right. for over $200 million. Mm-hmm. Full commitment, but they had David Fincher, they had Kevin Spacey, mm-hmm. they had Robin Wright, they had right. Bo Willman, and last thing, because I know I'm going to run out of time, ratings are not the metric for success like they used to be, but algorithms yes. are how everything is. Yes. Not everything, because there's still the gut, sure. and but you know they knew based on algorithms that House of Cards had a very it was it was a safe bet in mm-hmm. that political thrillers were are very popular on Netflix, mm-hmm. Fincher's popular, Spacey movies are popular, so. They ran the numbers, and it looked like it was a pretty sure bet. Sure. Mm-hmm. Vimeo, which you were asking me about before. Yeah, like, Vimeo, is it going to become the new... I mean, Vimeo is pretty much, you upload your stuff, people can go and watch it. Vimeo is a, is a, uh, a very... Uh, much, most, most young filmmakers use it yeah, over more YouTube. Yeah, than YouTube, now, yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's clean, it's just And by YouTube itself. Red is now developing mm-hmm. content. Sure. But Vimeo generally is... A curated YouTube because on YouTube everything is equal. So cat videos are considered mm-hmm. classified the same way as something with more, you know, higher production values. Right. Vimeo tends to be, you know, more professionally produced content. But the thing that Vimeo has that's two really huge aspects of it that are valuable to content creators. Mm-hmm. One is um, they only take 10% of content. So if you're putting your show on Vimeo and you're monetizing it, mm-hmm. you're going to keep 90%, wow. which is Ooh, very unusual. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that that's one thing. The other is though it's it's a it's a place for what is sort of the name of the game now for people who are trying to break in, mm-hmm. which is proof of concept. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you can go on Vimeo and get a lot of traffic, if you are lucky enough to become a staff pick on Vimeo, which is not based on algorithms right. and is a sacrosanct process, like just internally the staff decide which if you're gonna if you become a staff pick on Vimeo, you're gonna get hundreds of thousands of views, mm-hmm. if not 
up to a million. And, That's you cool. know, that applies to like a show like High Maintenance, which right. is now going to be on HBO mm-hmm. because of their success on Vimeo. You know, so, or Issa Rae, you know, with uh, mm-hmm. Awkward, Awkward Black, Black Girl, Girl. Yeah. her numbers built. Insecure now. Yeah, and Insecure. She's mm-hmm. on HBO, but it mm-hmm. built and... Took damn long. Everybody else got their show in like two seconds. They were developing, seconds. like you said, they developed you took too long. Time. You took too long. You already knew what she was going to bring to the table. Yeah. And y'all took all that time. Yeah. Y'all tried to break a sister. <laughs> but Issa, you hung tough, girl. She, and we're looking yeah. forward to it. We're going to have her on the show. She gonna, I'm, she I'm looking... She's I'm great. Just, I interviewed her also for yeah, the book. She's badass. she's... The thing is that in her case, who knows? I mean, it might have been that they were just <laughs> frightened that they were creating, you know. They brought an awkward black girl in. Too much, too much. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, she is a purist, you know. And she totally. really, she was not kowtowing mm-hmm. and going, I'll do, I love do whatever it. you mm-hmm. want. It yeah. was, she's like, this is who I am. This is what my show is. Yep, and right. so she, I think she fought a lot of those battles to make the show she is mm-hmm. proud of. And and I'm excited to see it. Yeah. I haven't seen any of it yet. But, you know, she built, she self-financed the first season of sure Awkward did. Black Girl. Yeah. And she created the big buzzword across all these platforms mm-hmm. when you're saying, what are they looking for? Right. Authenticity. That, and and that authenticity, you know, it's it's niche. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, it it's is. it's the specific is universal. And I know for a fact, the shows that I watch now, they have a certain specific thing yeah. that I want to see. And I'm glad I live in a time now where I can choose what I want to see mm-hmm. when I want to see it. Like if I want to spend the whole weekend as a burrito sipping my <laughs> liquor and my snacks with my dog... Damn it! That's how I was yeah. last weekend. Yeah, I believe you. And I'm, I'm a, as soon as I leave here, I'm gonna return because they know <laughs> on Netflix. Shout out to Netflix, y'all put Marcella, that English show yeah, I've been yeah, waiting yeah. to see because I'm in love with Nicholas Pinot <laughs> from Top Boy. Uh-huh. Oh my god! Oh my god! I love oh, that actor. Oh my god! I love that actor. And then it's like I soon that show came up, and I'm watching the show, and it's like yes, and another. True crime, mm-hmm. almost crazy British mm-hmm. show. She's like the female Luther, mm-hmm. like. I would not be able to do that on regular television. No, 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 I would no, be no, waiting no. for years. That that show has probably been pitched and turned down mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and love my hell. Mm-hmm. And now it's like I have access. I don't have to wait for the network. Mm-hmm. I don't. Uh, speaking of network, uh, Weinstein Brothers, the show I was telling y'all about, it's called Trapped. Trapped. Okay. I haven't seen it. Yeah. Okay, look it up. They, right. You can see it's already aired. Uh, hopefully, BBC America is supposed to be airing it pretty soon. It's not. It's taking too long. Where did you find it before? You used online. You found do, it. Or? You know what? I'm a cinephile, bitch. <laughs> I thought you heard. I forgot. I you forgot. forgot. You forgot. need to know who you're dealing with over here. You need to understand who you're fucking she with said over she here. Was the world. I'm a she said she the was world. online doing some shit she wasn't supposed to be doing, didn't yeah, she? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, you get in a circle and somebody said, hey, uh, psst, psst. That's a lot of it. And I was on the black net, uh, the dark net. And somebody said, since you like this show, you really need to check out. It. But it's already aired. Like I've been trying to, I've been, look. I've been on places in Norway. Your 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 computer does not can hold this. I'm like, damn it, man! Mm-hmm. But basically, you can go online. You can go on YouTube and look at the trailer. Okay. And yeah, it's, yeah, you can it's find fan. Stuff. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. My problem is, uh, I need to create my own network, mm-hmm. and my network is just basically going to be my, my network is, is going to be you know basically like top shows mm-hmm. in other countries um, that you can see that are international. That's interesting. International yeah, top yeah. shows that are specifically like true crime, mm-hmm. psychological thrillers, mm-hmm. horror. Because 
a lot of the horror, I, I just need to curate some shit. You do. Because <laughs> you, I have, I, you know what? It's like, because some of the stuff I'd be seeing is like, Amazon, why is this show on? Uh-huh. Netflix, why is this show on here? Come on, I can show you some better shit. Because they just want you to have exactly. lots of choices. So I, and I appreciate that. But, but I we agree need, with you. We need, to, we need to open up and get some more okay. shit that's a little bit different. Well, and last thing I want to say, even though I probably said that and then, and then no, go into the book where they can get it and where you, you yes. know, yes. You, you the know. thing about authenticity which is across all the platforms is the number one what everybody mm-hmm. wants mm-hmm. the reason this is a revolution is that you cannot manufacture authenticity oh, you can't and so no matter how much money you have mm-hmm. you can't manufacture it so the voices that are coming through are purely authentic they sure. can make content themselves distribute it themselves it's unfiltered advertisers are even discovering that authentic voices versus celebrities are better at selling their products. Mm -hmm. Hair products, beauty products, if it's coming from an authentic person who's like, I've always struggled with my hair and I finally (laughs) found this product that makes me feel, you know, halfway beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, That has a lot more value than, say, you know, Jennifer Aniston selling a hair product mm-hmm. because people are going to go, well, of course her hair looks great. Look, She's rich. Look. She can do whatever she wants. <laughs> let, this, let, okay. Advertisers, let me let you in a little secret. <laughs> Nowadays, people don't want to buy. If you have a celebrity hawking your product, nobody wants to buy that product. Because we are hip to the idea that these people have stylists and people who dress them, who beat their faces for them, who lay their hair down. We know that stuff. So if you really want to get me, you got to get the regular Joe on the schmo. Like, bitch, this this is what my hair looked like before. (laughs) (laughs) In my own back. Like, I go to YouTube. Like, look, I swear to God. When I'm looking for a new hair product... I go to YouTube uh-huh. and I watch them heifers that are in their own kitchen. Like, look, this is what my hair and they doing the hair right there. Uh-huh. I'm not looking. Real. I'm not looking They're at like, Jennifer. I put some butter, okay, and some honey. All right, and then they and come some back water, and, bitch. Then they, and they freeze the camera and they come back. All right, y'all, this is what it look like. Exactly. And I'm like, I believe in that. I will. You know how many products I've bought because I've been I watching other people, just regular people, yeah. sell stuff yeah. as opposed to like Jennifer mm-hmm. Aniston or you know. But this all is those revolutionary people. because mm-hmm. it think is. advertising was not based upon that at all before that's a huge change just because Mm -hmm. of social media and people having access to things and the other thing about authenticity is not only do people trust it and believe Mm -hmm. in it when people when the corporations do try to manufacture authenticity if viewers especially teenagers get a whiff and it seems like they're pandering or trying Mm -hmm. to sort of manufacture the marketing to them the bullshit they seem authentic they turn against it Mm -hmm. and they'll actually diss it and they'll trash it and they'll bring it down Mm -hmm. so you know, this the clapback really is, is real. People, this is really the people's re- revolution. Exactly. Right. So the book is called TV Outside the Box, Trailblazing, <laughs> Trailblazing in the Digital <laughs> Television Revolution. And um, you can, the easiest place to get it is, is on Amazon, mm-hmm. but you can also get it if you go to like focalpress.com or taylorandfrancis.com, which is the publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, and... What else can I tell you? Oh, That's- my God. You've got everything. Webisodes, yeah. the next iteration of adult animation, Beyond MTV, Food is Art, Digital Magazines. Um, you've got Breaking Down Barriers, uh, Life After Broadcast, The Impact of Digital Television on Cinema. It's, all, it's current. But That's what look, I about. Look, look, this book, Are like, you on Twitter? This book just came out yeah, this I year, am. right? It just came What's out. Twitter? It just came out this year. Yep. January. Like it's this people. This is hot off. It is still smoking. You can see yeah, yeah. there is steam <laughs> coming off this book right now as I speak. I'm not bullshitting y'all. Y'all need to get this book because if you're really talking about making content, if you're really talking about learning and and trying to be up to date with shit, you need to get this book. Because I'm like when I leave here today, mm-hmm. I'm gonna be curled up 
I'm going to finish the last two episodes of Marcella. I'm going to make my cappuccino and I'm going to get into here. He's got Crackle. He's got Fox. He's got every business model. And I think it's so important, especially the the, the fact that we do this podcast, mm-hmm. is to give people information, Correct. especially those of you guys who are listening real, overseas. Real and mm-hmm. you know I'm a fan of overseas stuff and people who are not from the United States. I want to see your shit. Mm-hmm. And if yeah. this book is going to help you get your content out there so that I can like go into the dark net mm-hmm. and try to find somebody <laughs> and like pss, pss, get this, please, please get this book. Um, you can get it online, Amazon. I think you get it on Kindle. Can you get it on Kindle for me? You can get it on Kindle. at barnesandnoble.com. I mean, pretty much everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it's just brick and mortar bookstores. Are yeah. Okay. I mean, some of them, specialty shops are coming back, but it's a different world right. now. You right. Know? So, Neil, you're, you're on Twitter? I'm on Twitter. I think it's Neoland. Wait, of what do you mean? You think that well, means that means he I'm tweets wearing, once think, every month. <laughs> I think what I'm Neoland is my N E I L L A N D. Or I'm on. I tend to use Facebook a lot more than Twitter. Okay. I don't know why, but it's right. probably just a, you know. Where you at, Lisa? Lisa Coat. Oh, y'all know I'm on Twitter. <laughs> Here, this is. So let me know what you think of the yes, definitely, read, definitely. Had to reach me. I will definitely and, tweet um, it out. Yeah, tweet about. And let people know and take take a bunch of notes and stuff. But yeah, folks, uh, you can always find me on Twitter. I'm either hanging out with all the homies, all the nerdy folks on Saturday Night Sci-Fi, Friday Night Horror, um, whenever Black Girl Nerds has like a 90s live tweet, 80s live Mm -hmm. tweet. Uh, You can find me at Bitch Flicks, even though I haven't written in a while. Bitch Flicks. (laughs) Bitch Flicks, fam. I'm I'm writing. I really am. I've just been busy like just writing scripts and, you know, my, my female pimp. Mm-hmm. Script. I'm actually trying to turn it into a pilot TV show. Oh, good idea. Because I realized that the shit I was trying to tell in that script, uh, a lot of this new shit that's happening right now in the world in terms of sex and how to make your money with yep. sex and sex workers, mm-hmm. uh, I think in my female, my female pimp is going to mm-hmm. have to. The old script title was "Bitches Brew" because you know Miles Davis here. <laughs> but uh, you know, I've been I've been working. So uh, we'll talk. Ex- expect we'll talk, some new stuff. Expect some new stuff on Bitch Flicks, and then of course, um, <laughs> check me out. I'll be in New Orleans in August because I'm writing a horror script with my girl Jaretta. So if you're down in New Orleans, I know the Essence Fest is happening. Mm. You know, so. Hey, always hit me up on Twitter. In the old days, I would tell people don't follow me <laughs> because I talk about everything, and sometimes people get their feelings hurt. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm embracing my ratchetness. See what I gotta do with my sophister ratchetness. <laughs> That's in the world. I like it. But please, fam, make sure you get this book. It's it's important <clears throat> stuff, and I, I think it's something that's going to help us become better writers. True. That was up. And I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. Thank you again, Neil. We appreciate My having pleasure. you. My pleasure. Thank you. Have you guys can find me on Twitter. I say Twitter like I'm British or something. Twitter. You guys can yeah. find me on Twitter. Shut up. Twitter. <laughs> Be looking at me Twitter. like that. Twitter. <laughs> you yeah. find me on Twitter at um, Hilliard Guest. Me and my mates. You guys can find me, find the show, Screenwriters are, are on Twitter. Please follow us, share, tweet, all that other shit like that. <clears throat> if you guys have any questions, screenwritersrentroom at gmail.com. Um, please go on and give us a five-star review on iTunes, because we need that for the Matrix, <clears throat> stuff like that. So everybody joining me for 2016. You'll know when it, when it comes in. So on this show, we keep it real. Mm. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, everybody? 2016. 2016. Wait, Neil's lip syncing over there. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did he turn into a Muppet on this or Peace, y'all. Ciao.
Lopez Story on the page, let the beast about the cage That light about the dark, can you build the inferno From my itty bitty spark, coffee shop hustlers Rise with the cream, a million other writers Same Hollywood dream, your pen and paper All like bullets in the gun, write what you feel Say what you want in the red room We say what we say, we do So look, if you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get in. Mm-hmm.